Even, evening, evening for me, uh, afternoon for these guys. Um, welcome to the Spook About Bench podcast. My name is Mike Sim. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a former commercial photographer trying to just cobar his way back into it right now uh, over in the United Kingdom. And then over the over in the Americas, got uh, my best friend in the entire world, Christopher Sturm. Hello. And, and you then, know what, Mike? Once what? a photographer, always a photographer. You're not a former. You're still. Know, you're still. I'm just. I'm just. You're getting back listen, into it. Listen, I'm in that. I'm in that headspace, right? Um, and then somewhere else in America, he's told me, but I can't remember where it is. It's a big place. Uh, is uh, <laughs> Brian Burks? Say hi, Brian. Hello. It's St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, St. Louis, yeah. Missouri, which Louis. is right in the middle, which is in America. There we go. Right. That's, that's as much as I know. <laughs> Uh, actually not see like maybe eight hours for me because I just moved to Milwaukee uh, so now we're in the same time zone which is interesting and fun Uh, yeah we drove we sit we stayed in St. Louis on our first trip out to Milwaukee um, overnight on our way out and it was uh, it was nice I wish we could have gone around and seen more but we were on like a weird schedule so is that where you're from St. Louis yeah yes Uh, well I live about 15 minutes south of downtown St. Louis so but I, uh, yeah, I've been in Missouri my whole life. Grew up in Festus, Missouri, which is like 30 minutes south of St. Louis. But yeah, just bought a house in St. Louis. Nice. Congrats on buying a house. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. I was surprised too, but it helped that, that I have a girlfriend. So <laughs> honestly, yeah, that does help a lot. It's, it's, it's often very surprising when I, I'm a millennial like myself will be like, yeah, I bought a house. I'm just like, oh my God, you've like, wait a minute, Brian, cracked how, the code. how do you? I, ju- I just turned 30. Oh, so you're yeah. on the very, you're on the edge of millennialism. Brian, right. I'm, I'm 36 years old and I could give you an entire tour of where I live by spinning my laptop around <laughs> and I rent it. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Well, uh, you need to get, I mean, you live in Oxford, which is a pretty posh area, right? I do live in a posh, I do live in a posh place. Yeah. 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 So, you know, you're, you're living large, so you know, we're us, large, Midwest, us Midwesterners in a small place, <laughs> right? I'm so living large when, in a large place. So, like the thing, I don't, I don't know much about your your formative years, Brian, in terms of how you got into photography. Mm-hmm. Was it a, um, was it a formal thing or was it hobby? Um, well, I so my start, my I guess my start would be that I was a wedding videographer. So I went to college for TV and film. And I was expecting to get a job right out of college, and that did not happen. So I started to, I filmed my uh, roommate's sister's wedding. And then my dad asked me if I wanted to do it, keep doing it. And he bought me a camera. So I did wedding videos for a while. I still do it now. That's my full time job. But um, I got into photography. Um, probably around two years ago, because I started really? watching like, Yes, I started watching like Willem, his channel and everything, mm. and kind of fell in love with film, that whole process and everything. And then I was like, I'm just going to start my own channel. And yeah. I guess here we here we are now. So, and did you do? <clears throat> did you work up from like 35 mil, and then it, or did you go digital 35 mil 120 large? Um, I I never really shot digital photos. It was all just video. So I kind of already knew like the basics, like aperture and shutter yeah. speed and all that stuff but um i actually started with a mamiya 645 wow and then <laughs> yeah 
I I just saw <laughs> the look place. of yeah, I saw the look of that and I was like, that looks pretty cool. So um I did mess around with 35 millimeter a little bit, but at the time I was using a Epson scanner and I wanted to blow my brains out using that thing. So <laughs> uh yeah, didn't really shoot much 35 millimeter and I just kept stepping up, stepping up, and eventually I'm shooting four by five and that's the only film camera I have now. Dude, yeah, that's and that's a fast progression. Yeah, I was going to say two years and you're already doing large format. And I mean, <clears throat> your large format work is not beginner grade, I would say. I mean, your work is great. Uh, oftentimes when I'm watching your videos, I'll be like, yeah, I wish I could approach strangers and get this kind of work because I don't I don't do well, that ever. And it's it's mm -hmm. it's hard. It's very hard to do that, uh, as you've kind of mentioned in your your videos. Um, but I the work you get to do, the portraits you make are really fantastic. I think that's what's so appealing to me about your channel. And it's something I wanted to talk about was that a lot of channels you watch and it's always like they've brought their friend along and they're going to shoot them that day. But never, no one really ever talks about like environmental portraiture and approaching strangers and how daunting that can be and how you go about doing it. And then I think it was maybe your last video, you touched on the fact that once you speak to a stranger and you get them to agree, then you bring out a large format camera then you've got to like worry about your focus, your subject, and how you want to pose them. But you start to get a bit panicky about them feeling awkward. Um, mm -hmm. And it's some, I mean, I've been doing it for a long time and I, I still like, I'm comfortable approaching people, but then I can really rush it when I'm going, like, because I, I yeah. worry about how they're feeling. And how long has it taken you? I love the fact you show that process and you show the rejections as well, or you, you talk about the rejections. Because it, mm -hmm. it makes it feel accessible and it's like, it's not a hit rate of, you know, one in one. It's maybe you might get one in 10 or one in 20, but you got to keep trying. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you go about it now? With just, um, with like rejection and stuff? And oh no, with like just that? approaching people in general. Like, oh, I mean, well, it has gotten, it, it's gotten exponentially easier um, the more I, that I do it, but I still do, like I still, there's sometimes when I'm driving around, and it takes me like a couple loops around the block to gather up the courage to go and knock on someone's door because I've had, I've, for the most part, they've been positive encounters, but I have had some where it got kind of iffy on a couple things. So mm -hmm. now when I'm like driving around, I'm like, a lot of people seem to think that I just pull up and just knock on a door. And that's <laughs> hardly ever the case. I just, I take a couple laps around, like check the surround needs, make sure everything's okay. But it has gotten easier, but with experience and stuff, I, you can kind of see um, when you look at a house or the way that someone's yard is hmm. kept, um, you can kind of see how the interaction is going to go, or you can kind of see uh, how yeah. it might play out, which helps. But experience is the biggest key for me because in the beginning, I would have to like take a shot before asking someone for a portrait because I was like so so nervous <laughs> and stuff. And yeah, it's just, you just have to do it and then kind of uh, work your way through it with experience. Well, it's doubly hard because not only are you saying like, Hey, can I take your photograph? But you then have to kind of explain. <laughs> so I have this ancient camera with me and it takes about 20 minutes to get it going. Is that cool? With right. you? Like, it's like a whole process. That's because if you have a digital camera, it's like, can I take your photo snap? We're done. You can show them the photo, then you can walk away. But this yeah, is exactly. a whole nother thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that definitely helps out a lot because I don't know how I would feel because I'm not really one to, I don't really like 
typical street photography where you're just going mm-hmm. up and snapping pictures. Agreed. Um, it just sounds or it, it feels very impersonal to me. Mm-hmm. I also think so, it's something that it's something that people say they do when they don't know how to do anything else. They're like, "What kind right. of photography into?" I'm in street photography. Woof. So we're going to get a lot of comments on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, there is good street photography, obviously, but um, yeah, when if I feel like if I were using a digital camera, and I just feel like it would be too rushed, it would, it would be too impersonal. You wouldn't have the conversations that you have because. I mean, I met up with a guy yesterday. Um, I was in a small town and he saw me outside and this is going to be in like a future video, but um, I was just setting up everything on the tripod. He comes over, starts asking me questions and it's just, it's, there's more time to draw everything out and Mm -hmm. actually get to know the person. And then you can actually take that into account when you're taking the portrait. So it just helps out all around and it not only looks really different and cool but yeah. it just helps with the portrait in general i find that it's a it's a it can sometimes put people at ease knowing that you're a photographer like a photographer like if you bring out like a film <laughs> camera and you like you know you you set it all up and you take your time as opposed to just there's something can be quite voyeuristic about just asking someone for their picture right. and have you had encounters where people think i'm trying to sell them something like i'm trying to sell them a photograph and right. it's like I'm, I'm not trying to sell you anything like and some people don't understand photography for art's sake and they'll be like I, what do you mean you want to take a picture of me <laughs> like do you know what i mean and then yeah you have to, like, exactly try and explain it and it's like and like then, are you a, are you a journalist are you doing yeah a cool and then project, you, like just, you just cut your losses and you're like okay cool don't you know what don't worry about it yeah um, right you don't shoot you don't have a digital camera right or you don't shoot with me? a digital camera yeah um, I, I do have a digital camera because I use it to, uh, do, to make wedding video. videos. Right. And, uh, I have started to shoot that a little bit more because I did just sell my Pentax 6.7 oh, and no. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't really shoot medium format anymore because it's just, I don't know, like I was shooting it and it was fine and it scanning it and developing it was fine but every time i got the pictures back i'm like i just wish that i shot this on large format or right. just not shot it at all so it just made me rethink things and with the film prices going up too i was just like you know what I'm just gonna go all four by five film prices. And, i mean i don't yeah. want to go back into the film prices debate but today i went and picked up a box of 35 mil uh xp xp2 and then a box of trix it was twenty five pounds for both boxes. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, just, that's it's, that's it's too much. It's a lot. It's a lot of weight. It's silly. Like it's just. But you know, nuts. you know, I think that if there is something to, if if that's what the film industry needs to do in order to stay alive, like I understand. At first, I was like, you know, Brian, I'm sure you saw my t- my tweets about it when it first happened. I was like. Kodak is a corporation. Corporations are evil, like blah, blah, blah. Like I was so pissed. But then I talked to some people and I talked to someone who worked at Kodak who was, um, they aren't there anymore, but they used to. Uh, And then the conversation that we had, it was kind of like revealed that like, honestly, you know, Kodak makes film on machines that they don't make anymore. And they have Mm -hmm. to maintain those machines and they have to buy raw material and raw material prices. Silver is really expensive right now. And that's what's on the 
film base. So it does seem like they're squeezing us as much as they can. But in in reality, I think there's much more to it. And as much as I want to join the cacophony of photographers who are screaming about film prices, I think that the reality is that just like everything in the world is just so much more expensive. Uh, and the problem is that we're not getting paid as much as we should. And, mm. and prices for everything go up. Gas, cars, film, everything yeah. is inflating in price because that's just how things go. But the compensation for the worker is not getting any higher, which for is a, a whole other experience. That's a whole other conversation. Second, I, th- I thought you were just going to end a point on like on like a good note, but then I was like, oh no, no. he's going to be angry about something. Never. So that's fine. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, let's cut Kodak some slack. They're the only company currently manufacturing new C41 film, and yeah. they're they're all we have. So we have to kind right. of like suck it up and deal with it because that's you, not really yeah, their fault. That's should, what I told. Sorry, carry on. Uh, that's why I told my girlfriend, Emma, cause, um, I was, I was wearing a Kodak shirt, um, mm-hmm. yesterday and I, I don't think it's going to be in the video, but I was like, everyone's pissed off at Kodak. So I don't think I should wear this shirt, but I'm like, <laughs> I can't say anything because they're the only ones that make C41, like four by five films. So I was just yeah. like, yeah, uh, they can do, do or say whatever they want. I'm still going to buy their film. So and there's not portrait, a lot of options. Yeah. Portrait you shoot on, isn't it? Four by five. Yeah. Portrait 160. Have you got an eight by 10? Uh, yeah, I have it in my closet right now, but if you've watched any of my channel, you know, the big ordeal yeah. that I've had with that eight by 10 camera, but, uh, it's yeah. in there, but it doesn't really work very well. <laughs> I was going to say before we get a little bit further away, cause, um, the reason I asked if you were shooting on a digital camera at all was, um, to go back to what we were talking about as far as like approaching people with, um, with a camera to get portraits or whatever. Um, I don't know if you may have noticed this, but for me, the more, you know, cause I've been shooting film since I was 14, I'm 36 in March. So I've been doing it for a long time and it, it's kind of like the most comfortable place for me, but I did have to transition to digital at a certain point just to be commercially viable. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like I got right back into doing mostly film and then I noticed, um, when I did shoot digital, um, I started treating shooting digital way more like how I shoot film. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, on commercial shoots, um, what I used to do is like stick it in continuous and just like rattle off shots. Right. And then get like all these shots, then go through, find the best ones. But now I set every scene up that I'm shooting. Like I, if I was going to be shooting film and I take, I treat it as like every shot is important. Like I'll take like test shots and stuff, but, um, the reality of it is, um, I slow down way, way more because I want every shot to be a potential keeper. I don't want there to be, you know, a hundred. So when I've taken portraits of people with a digital camera outside or, or if I've, if I've taken shots of, I don't know, whatever, um, I've started to kind of set it up as if I'm setting up kind of like an, a, a, an elaborate portrait shot. Like, a, like if I were to like go into a studio and do a portrait session with like a backdrop with backlighting and like fill lights and everything, like set the whole thing up. So I, I was going to see if like maybe you felt the same way with digital or do you still feel kind of rushed? Um, no, I definitely like I, the times that I have shot digital, um, like I shot a, like a digital wedding in mm. December of last year. And yeah, like I, I've only ever shot a couple weddings on digital, but the first time that I did it, I was literally just shooting all that I could. And I'm just like, I'll just worry about it later. Coverage. And (laughs) yeah, exactly. And then this specific one, I was just like, I'm just going to get like, I know exactly what I need. I know, um, take time on the poses, take time on the lighting. And you're only going to have to take it one time. You're not going to have to take 
a million and then fix it all in the edit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, definitely four by five. And especially I only shot eight by 10 a little bit, but that's like a, a whole nother level because you're literally putting like 15, $20 into one shot. So it better be yeah. good. <laughs> right. And uh, that's one of the reasons why eight by 10 is like a, it's so weird because it has such a specific look and all the photo, like there's a bunch of eight by 10 photographers that I love, but yep. It's just like the price and the time and everything. It's just, I don't know if it's worth it, but the price, it's a whole by- kind of like, it's like a, it's like there's woodworking and then there's like someone who just does like this very specific Scandinavian style of chair. That's like extremely <laughs> difficult to, to build, right. but they're so good at it. And it's yeah. like, I love woodworking, but do I want to make this fucking chair? Like, I don't think I do, <laughs> yeah. you know? It's just it's the hard. money. The money to me is just yeah. like, it's just, you can't justify that. Well, I, you know, I, I think unless you're a, a fine art photographer who's making a ton of money on the back of the prints, like you can't justify eight by 10, the cost of it. Yeah. The, I, I feel like the only way that I would get back into it is if I really like force myself to like, when I, when I do bring it out to make sure that this is going to be perfect and i'm more than likely going to sell this as a print so i can at least recoup some of the money that comes back but Mm -hmm. yeah at this point four by five is just like it's perfect for me it's not too expensive and i develop most of the stuff at home so yeah man um yeah it's perfect for me it's quite it's quite nice to watch somebody watch them go through a project as well like a specific project you know the the people the, the car like um vintage cars and their owners and like watch how long a project actually takes because we've discussed mm-hmm. this before like that um we have an urgency these days to create something and just put it out there immediately so the idea to like collate i mean i suppose part of you is that you are actually showing the process as it goes but like projects take and i always find it interesting when i read about how long a portrait's been shot like sessions have been shot over i was looking at evidence um, in the american west the other day and like it was over like three or four years yeah. And you look at a project mm-hmm. like that and you assume that it was done over like a couple of days. Do you know what I mean? Cause right. it, well, it's then- funny because if you see, if you see like, um, even with film now and the availability of like uh, film development chemicals and like all the stuff associated with it, people do go out, shoot a roll of film, come back, process it that day, and then share it on Facebook or Instagram, yeah. I mean, uh, that night, which is great. But then, you know, there are, it's the same kind of problem we have with Instagram. It's like shooting for Instagram rather than like shooting for the project and like really allowing the yep. project to stretch out over the time kind of necessary. Right. Do you have a, do you have a time period in mind? Like do you have a, an end point in mind for your project? Um, I, well, I feel like I, I did at one point and then I <laughs> feel like the last probably couple months I've, I feel like I'm just now taking the portraits that I want to take for it. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know how long, how, how much longer it's going to be, but I do have like older work that I really like as well. There's some of my favorite photos, stuff that I took on like medium format. And it's just like, you tell yourself, I'm only going to do it this much longer and then it's going to be done. But um, right now I feel like I have a pretty good collection going, but uh, I'm just going to see how it plays out with uh, the winter. And cause I do like shooting more in the winter time. It's just, mm not as hot and the lighting is just a little bit better and stuff like that. So I'm going to see how the winter plays out in the spring and then just see where I'm at. But 
I need to be better. One of the things that I am terrible at terrible at is um, sharing too much of the actual work because mm-hmm. at that point I'm like, if I share everything, like no one's gonna want to purchase the like. I'm sure <laughs> they'll want to purchase the book, but they're they're already have seen everything. So yeah. I'm like, I can't share everything, and I have that same problem where. Um, as soon as I shoot something, I want to get home, like develop and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I've developed all of my stuff myself since I started really. So I've never had to wait for anything. Like I've never mm-hmm. had to have that couple weeks where it's in the mail, but I need to be better about being patient and, uh, not just jumping at the gun to develop it and scan it and post it online. For well, the good thing. The good thing is, I mean, up until the point where you post it online, you know, it is really nice that we have that ability to, you know, process things that same day or whatever, because you can really start critiquing your own project like right away, you know? So you go out and you one day take a picture of a guy with his car and you're, you're really excited about it. You get home, and you're like, oh, you know what? This would have been better a foot to the right or something, you know? Mm, and then maybe you right. still have the ability to kind of go back and be like, hey, I took your picture yesterday. Do you think we could try one more time? I have a better way. You know, it kind of allows yeah. you to have a rolling kind of like view of how, how your project's going, which is kind of the way I approach when I do my projects, um, stuff I've been working on for like over a year is just like, get it scanned, look at it, see if you're happy with it and then revisit it maybe later on. And I don't know. I like like that aspect of it. I also like the fact that you, you, you're not afraid to show your, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of four by five, like missing focus and stuff like that. And I like, Oh Yeah. Is that something you're still you're still um, that was something you addressed? I think in your last video was like you know missing focus when you were just hurrying yourself. Yeah, is that something I, you're well, getting better at? Um, with the with the rushing things, I am yeah. Like I've honestly just came across that quote from uh, Greg Miller, um, that specific I, photographer. Like t- yeah. his work is amazing, and yeah. he shoots eight by ten and um. Just since then, I have that in the back of my head every time that I go out now. But uh, even yesterday, like I was taking portraits of this guy um, named Lewis, and I got the one that I really wanted um, in front of this building that he owns. And then I got one more that I really liked. And then at the end, I was kind of like mentally just checked out and I took this like head and shoulders portrait and I ended up missing focus. And at the time I was just like, you could tell I was rushing and just trying to like get it done. And, um, I ended up like missing focus on one eye and then I came back and I'm like, well, that's what I get because I was rushing and everything. So, um, yeah, when I go into a portrait now, I'm just like thinking I'm going to take my time, do what it takes to get the shot that I want. And then I won't have to worry about it later on. And if I miss focus because of like, um, like the camera or just something messes up. Like I'm not going to be bummed out about that. It's just like whatever I can control, I want to be able to control. Well, when I shoot four by five with my speed graphic, um, I have like the extremes of the same problem where it's like, I'm either rushing and I'm missing focus or it's like I'm double checking and triple and quadruple checking. And I'm like so nervous about missing focus that I'm checking too much. And it's like, at what point am I, Sure, sure, sure. You know, because you can right. only know so much because you can accidentally bump the camera when you take the exposure. Uh, the camera can can move when you hit the, you know, shutter release, all this like stuff. So it's kind of like I've always found it to be this battle of like 
just do what you can to be sure and then step away and then take a deep breath because it's just so hard. I mean, because four by five is still all the four by five I shoot is expired because I, I can't mm-hmm. afford to just go buy new four by five except for um, I've bought a bunch of HP five before. Um, but it's just like it's like I'm so scared of missing this that critical focus. And, uh, you know, the, the speed graphic is fine to focus on, but I feel like it's not like the creme de la creme focusing experiences that you can have. Uh, so I doubt myself a lot and I find that to right. be like my biggest problem. How much, yeah, planning, that, how much planning do you put in? Into Me, like, a, <laughs> or well, like, so do you go and like scope out locations and then think about, you know, uh, um, compositions and then go knock on the door or do you go and knock on the door and then just kind of wing it when you get them? Um, it kind of depends. Most of the time is it's just winging it. And there's some times where I will pass a car and I can obviously tell that someone's not home. So I just mark that down on my maps. And then I kind of go to like Google street view or something. I'm trying to like figure out a way that would look best in like the time of day that would work with mm. the sun and stuff. But most of the time, if I see like a car specifically, if it's at like a, a store or a gas station or at, at not someone's house, I obviously am not going to come across that person again because they're just out doing their own thing. So those are the times where I, I have to really improvise and things like that. But I feel like I'm kind of good at that because of like shooting weddings and stuff and yeah. not really having an idea of anything. So cause on a wedding day you just show up and it's just like, here we are, like, start shooting so right i kind of feel like that helps out a lot and then yep. um just like telling them from the get-go as soon as i knock on the door i tell them i use this uh big wooden clumsy camera and it's going to take a little bit of time so just bear with me and then they kind of they kind of know the process after that and then i can just take as much time as i need and not uh try to feel rushed do people Sorry. what do you find that people are are kind of at ease with that explanation. I haven't really gone out and tried it, but you know, telling someone like, Hey, I have this like old camera. That's kind of like a bear. Like, you know, <laughs> do they, do you find that that kind of puts them at ease and kind of gets them curious or what are you, what are you getting as responses most of the time? I, f- I feel like it does because when I first say that they're just like, Oh, okay. Like they don't really know what it's going to be or what it's going to look like. Cause mm-hmm. I'm assuming most of the people that I photograph have never seen a camera like this. Mm-hmm. And then I I usually tell them to just like, they can like come out and like talk with me if they want to, or they can just chill inside while I, I set up and then they come out and they see the camera and they're just like, Oh, and then they start asking questions and stuff. And that kind of builds like a nice uh, connection yep. with me and them. And it just makes everything more at ease. Whereas if it was a digital camera, I'd just be like, I got a camera right here. Let's go take it. We Let's go out this. there, take the picture, and then yeah, it'd be done. And, off. Yeah. <laughs> and Lock it'd just and be like a real, a real quick experience. And do you I'm um, sure I'm sure it would work, but um it's just it's a lot better with the four by five. Totally. Um, do you feel or do you usually kind of like, oh, let me have your email address and I'll send you the photo when it's done? Is that kind of like what you end up doing? Yeah, I always get their numbers and I I do my best to like Bring get prints print. yeah. Yeah, and, and meet up with them another day. But sometimes I get the picture back and I'm like, I don't really, it's not that great. Or 
I don't think that they would enjoy having this. But <laughs> the ones that I've t- taken recently, um, I always make sure to shoot in black and white as well because um, I do my own darkroom printing and stuff. Oh, cool. So lately I've been wanting to just give them darkroom prints because it's cheaper on my end yeah. and I don't I don't have to pay for um, to get prints made and then things like that. So uh, your, darkroom, your darkroom setup looks great. But I, I was going to say like I, one thing I find like shooting on 6x7 is that I'll go to like I did a the last sort of I suppose portrait session I did that is part of something it was this old guy in a retirement home. He was an old tattooer. Um, and yeah, I uh, saw that. I saw that picture. I liked it today. It oh, was really good. You liked it on the Instagram. Yeah, I did. Yes, he did his he did his social media due diligence. <laughs> I've made it. <laughs> um, but I went there and I was like, right, I'm going to shoot one roll of six by seven. That's it. And then like, I got in there and it was a tiny little room. And it was like, it was fine. I had two lenses. So I had one really like quite wide, one, you know, more of a portrait focused lens. But I sort of took like three or four shots and I was like, I felt like I was done. But because I had a roll, I was like, I'm going to finish the roll, like just for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like part of me shouldn't have done that because I didn't need to. But part of me was actually, it was just, I wanted to finish the roll so I could get it developed so I could then see the images. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like with four by five, you shoot what you need to shoot. Yeah, and then like you're not going to just fire off a couple of extra frames for the sake of it, dude. That's why yeah. I love I love like, shooting. Oh, there's, there's there's forty bucks gone. I, I love mm-hmm. shooting twenty four exposure thirty five millimeter rolls because it's only twenty four compared to thirty six. Everything everything pro is thirty six, and like I get that. Oh, like man, I and don't. I shoot that on projects, but like sometimes it's just like twenty four exposures is like enough. I um, if you but, if you look yeah. at the last like eight to ten shots of any thirty six exposure roll that I've taken, they're just <laughs> like me just walking around, just going that'll do, that'll do, that'll do, that'll do. Like I'm done, fine. Print to I'm, I'm better. I'm I've been trying to be better at not doing stuff like that. But like with medium format, like I, I'm actually kind of surprised to hear that, Mike, because um, I feel like you know, especially on six seven, that's what that's how many exposures is that? That's ten ten exposures. Yeah. So I mean. I don't know. My experience or my preference would be like, oh, I'm going to take this whole role, but I'm going to do like, I'm just going to try all sorts of different stuff on this role with this yeah. one subject because I want this whole, I want a whole contact sheet of all these options and I want to like really explore what I can do. I'm just so fucking impatient. That's my problem. As a film photographer, dude, yeah. come on. As a person. Get your shit together. Fuck you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have that exact same problem. Like, that is probably one of my biggest uh, downfalls as a photographer is being impatient, which doesn't make sense because I do shoot four by five, but yeah, just like I, yeah, I, and I think it comes back to just me never have like never sending film out and never having mm. to wait that long. Cause everyone does talk about that. It's like, that's part of film. Like you send it out and you, you wait <laughs> yeah, for it to come back. From the light. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, definitely something that I need to get better at. And that would help me out exponentially in the long run. Is since you've, so impatient. Since you've built your darkroom, um, how much like roughly like setup wise, was that okay, like financially? And has it worked out way better for you? Yeah, I found so I started to look, I don't know, I forget when I bought that, but I probably found that within a couple of days of looking, and it turned out to be this woman in St. Louis who was selling her photo studio. 
And it was basically just everything that she had. Like she shot four by five, she shot six by seven, 35 millimeter. Wow. Yeah. And it came with uh, pretty much everything that I needed besides uh, developer and uh, paper. So it was around 300 bucks for everything. Well, that's was, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I got extremely lucky. And then it's you, does your wife see you anymore since that you, um, you <laughs> the dark room? I, I try my, I try my best. My, yeah, my, my girlfriend, uh, oh, I yeah. try my best to, uh, to do it when, when she's at work or just like, I like going down there at night too, because, um, during the day, like there is a little bit of light coming in and I don't think it affects anything, but it just makes me feel a little bit better when it is at night. Mm. And especially since it is out kind of outside, it's like in a, in a basement region of my house, it gets kind of cold in the winter. So, um, yeah, I just like going down there and, uh, usually it's for, I don't really do like huge printing sessions. I mm. like get one photo and then I get a really good copy of that photo and that's pretty much it. Mm. I just, I feel like if I had a dark room, um, in fact, if I had a second room, it would be quite nice just to, just to be in <laughs> Um, but if I had a, if I had a dark room, like I don't think people would ever see me. I think I'd end up looking like fucking Christian Bale and the machinist. I'd just be <laughs> in there just printing on something, living on fumes. Honestly, it's, it's so addictive. I mean, I really wanted to get back into it because in my college years, that's all I did was, was in a dark room. And, uh, uh, our, our school had a dark room that if you were in the art program, you just had like access and you could go in 24 seven cause it was an open campus or whatever. So, um, I was in there constantly and I printed so much, but, um, it's been hard to get back into because I don't have the space necessarily to do that here. Um, also I'd have to like buy all the stuff again. And then, you know, I could get like a, like there's like dark rooms that are open to the public, I guess, but like, yeah. It's we're still in a pandemic, so I don't really feel like going into a space with a bunch of people potentially. So it's like so we don't we don't have that here. Like Oxford, I've told pandemics? you, Oxford, Oxford. Yeah, we've definitely got a pandemic. Um, <laughs> we've got we've got the pandemic and just a pandemic of a shitty government and awful people, but that's entirely different. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like uh, Sh- shitty government, I don't know anything about shitty governments. Over yeah, America is no, perfect, guys. dude. <laughs> Hey, you guys are, you know, I mean, you know, you're, you're not too bad right now compared to Apple what you pie, had. fireworks. We're good. You guys are toasty. Immigration, um, huh? but like, um, we don't have like, so I've told you this before, we, I can't really buy film in this city. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I definitely don't have access to a dark room. Um, Remember we were talking to Alistair, you know, cause she was talking about the community dark room she goes to and, yeah, and, uh, just, no, not here. Yeah. But like, there's a lot, like there's a lot of that here, which is pretty great. Yeah. I have, I have thing is like, I don't really like the idea of getting prints. I, I, you know, I'd send my stuff to get, to get scanned. Um, I still don't do it myself yet. Um, well again, um, but I'm gonna, but like, I think if I'm shooting, if I was to be shooting four by five, I definitely want to be doing it all myself. And I, I, it, again, it with me it always just comes down to the romanticism of of printing my own stuff. And you've taught yourself how to do it. Yeah, it kind it wasn't as because I was like really intimidated by it when I first I like watched a video of um, well I watched like a Matt Day video and then I watched Willem do color prints and things like that and I was really intimidated by it. But um, I watched a video by William Sheepskin, who if you don't watch his channel, mm-hmm. you definitely should. But he did one in the dark room and he just made it look 
incredibly relaxing and easy. And I just watched a couple more of his videos and then uh, just kind of, I mean, with me and everything that I do in photography is pretty much just winging everything and learning from YouTube because mm. I went the whole college route and I tried to do it like the, the real way and the educational mm. way. But I got not like I got zero out of college. Dude, it was school the biggest, sucks. <laughs> it was the biggest waste of four years and money that my, well, my parents uh, paid for me luckily to go, but um, I it agree. was the biggest waste of money. And uh, yeah, I learned way more from YouTube and just <laughs> online forums and Truth everything me. than four years of uh, university. There's so. nothing you can't learn on YouTube, like nothing. Right. My yeah, watch I used school. My watch I used the other day, and I was like, "I'm just going to YouTube it, how to fix it, and just fixed it." Because like, yeah. you can anything, anything. I mean, I use I use school pretty much just for access to a dark room because and cheap photo supplies because everything I could do, I taught myself or yeah, YouTube. Which is like, you know, why we're here. It's why we're here today, guys. YouTube. Correct. Exactly. Which, by the way, Brian, yeah, I've been a huge fan of your channel ever since I found it. But there was a, there was a moment where I watched one of your videos. I can't remember what you said or what video it was. But you were talking. You were very much in this setting that you're in right now, which is funny. It feels like we're talking to you through one of your videos because <laughs> yeah. it looks just like a video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, you had said something and it was just so anti-bullshit so no nonsense you were just kind of like matter of fact about something and i was like oh yeah i could be friends with this guy and that's when i realized like oh yeah your channel is really great um and uh one of the things that really surprised me is recently a couple days ago you just um because you had made a joke before about being sponsored by squarespace and then you got a squarespace sponsorship and i remember thinking like hell yeah like that's the guy definitely deserves it right and then you just (laughs) you just recently were like yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. And I, I'm shocked because, you know, having had sponsors, I know that it, they, you know, it, it seems all glitz and glamour, but when you get a sponsorship, it's, it's a little different, but I always looked at the Squarespace sponsorship as kind of like the Holy grail of sponsorships, right? Right. Like all the big names have it. Um, everyone seems to be stoked to get it. And, you know, uh, but you were just like, nope, not for me. And I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that because that was a shock a little bit. Yeah. So what, what happened uh, there? I so I th- my biggest well my biggest problem with photography is being impatient, and my biggest problem with like YouTube and stuff is like trying to separate the photography and like the online persona, and then like the business side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when, yeah, I was like you, when I first, I was like driving around St. Charles, Missouri, and I got that email and it's like, hi, this is so-and-so from Squarespace. And I was like, yes, like I finally made it. <laughs> My channel's finally getting recognized. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, I was all for it because I use Squarespace. Um, I have used it. I used it before I had a sponsor. Same. And then just recently when I got that sponsorship and then it's like it feels like it's just the video that i put out the last video that i put out was supposed to be sponsored by them but i could not fit the ad in where it just seemed natural Mm -hmm. and i was just like i was like killing myself over this trying because i'm like i'm just not gonna throw it in and it's just like me talking about something and then add me talking Mm -hmm. about something again Mm -hmm. so it was that on top of just waiting for, it was like a Thanksgiving break that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And 
waiting for their approval and everything. And it's like nothing against them or how they do their stuff. But yeah, like I emailed them and I haven't got a reply back, but I was just like, it's not really great for me creatively with the money that's being given. And if we want to do it and also I've gotten zero like clicks on my link or anything, I've gotten zero commissions on everything. So Mm -hmm. I'm not really doing them much of a favor anyway, Mm -hmm. because it's like everyone's already got their stuff from Willem, Matt Day, all the big names. Right. So I was just like, unless there's a way for me to like not get your approval and, um, I can put it like at the end of videos, then I just, I really don't want to do it. Cause I don't even want the, like, I don't want the, the extra work of having to, f- to fix that on top of the video and the photos and everything else. Right. And that's the problem that I kind of had with my Skillshare sponsorship because I was really, really excited when I got their, their sponsorship because, you know, I've used Skillshare before. Um, James Hoffman, who's a coffee YouTuber guy, um, he has a Skillshare sponsorship. And so I've already seen people have it. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm finally in. Um, but with the money I was getting paid versus like the headache of trying to fit an ad into a, a video and then, um, you know, not really converting any commissions from it. It's just kind of like, what's the, like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And like full transparency, they're paying me 200 bucks a video. And that's, okay, I guess like that's mm-hmm. fine. I mean, it's free. It's not free money, but like it's, it's also just kind of like the, uh, the headache and the stress I'm going through just to get this to work and then to wait for an approval is weird, especially because the approvals, I never got feedback on an approval. They never were like, Oh, can you change this? Or, Oh, can you make this a little bit different? It was always just like, great, we'll put it up. And it's just like, I can do this without your approval because like you, you already liked my channel enough to want to sponsor it. You already agree with the content. Just let me put it where I want to put it and don't need me to approve it and it'll be fine. Right. But they weren't, right. they weren't into that. So when my, uh, when my sponsorship, um, trial period of six months ended, I didn't, I didn't try to re up it because I wasn't because they wanted to basically if I grew in that time period, they wanted to like extend my sponsorship. And I did. I I got to 10K in that time period. But like I just was not interested in continuing that weird relationship because it doesn't it wasn't really worth it to me to stress myself out once a month, too. It was like if I was doing it once a week monetarily, maybe that makes a little bit more sense. But it Mm. was like so sparingly, you know. Yeah, that's I mean, that's how I feel, too, about just because there's like obviously there's so many people already talking about squarespace like Mm -hmm. it's it's like a joke now right it doesn't need to be said anymore it's like everyone knows about it Mm -hmm. and i was just like do i really want to put myself through this for another person just throwing (laughs) squarespace out there and that's also why i didn't feel i don't feel um my other sponsor northeast photo like I have no problem sending as many people to them as possible because they deserve like the business. They deserve to get more customers because they do really uh, nice work Mm -hmm. and they're a growing company as well. And I felt like really like I felt way more uh, proud as a a YouTuber when uh, Mark, the owner, messaged me about that sponsorship compared to, say, a Squarespace. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. Because it's like he's smaller. He's growing as well. He recognizes like he actually pointed out specific things in the videos that he liked and Squarespace mm-hmm. was just like saying their stuff. Like you have a wonderful channel, but like, do right. they like, 
I don't know how much they actually watch the channel. I don't know how much they watch the sponsored videos, like what they are checking. It just seems a lot more personable to me, which I really like. And I can like stand behind that without any uh, problems in my creative life. I think that's right. I mean, the thing that's kind of the ideal situation for me. There was a time uh, when I was living in the Bay Area still, I was doing um, partnerships with this uh, small local San Francisco camera store where they would just like let me borrow any of their used cameras and then I could do a little video about it and then I could like play with it as long as I want and just bring it back. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I sent them some, you know, uh, business their way and they, they gave me some free film and gave me discounts on stuff and called me when something I was like interested in came. Like it was just like a really nice partnership because we cared about each other's well-being in a way that like a corporation doesn't really give a shit about if your channel works out or not. It's just like it's a way to make money. And I get it and it makes sense. But like, I'd much rather like if like freestyle photo or like some other smaller, you know, company drop some um, more names, drop some more names. (laughs) If they wanted to partner, uh, on, you know, that would be much more of a value to me. And I think the community in general, there doesn't need to be any more Squarespace sponsorships. In fact, they should probably scale back their sponsorships quite a bit. I I don't know what video I was watching today. But it was just like you get into a YouTube loop and yeah. it's just like this crazy stuff. And it's like this video is sponsored by Square. I'm like, I cannot go anywhere <laughs> without seeing Squarespace. And they but, can't sell but, me any more products. I, I already them. have. I already have a well, website. I mean, I, 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 I've got two Squarespace websites. Like I, I, you I know, know they're, it's they're, great. They're great websites. Yeah. But like the company's think, fantastic. Yeah. But Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Sponsor this podcast. Um, I think that like <laughs> as a... Um, as I think, yeah, as an artist, you know, you've got to respect that, respect your worth. And I think that you've got to respect, you know, your own integrity and what you believe in. I think that's an incredibly important part of what you do or we do as as, as photographers is who we are and we do what we, we believe in. And like, how do you, um, how do you manage expectation now upon like yourself do you think in terms of your projects your your work um where you see yourself going against even where you were because i found that like over time like i can shoot something that i'm super super proud of and then like a month later i'll look back and be like that's dog shit like it's not even like so when you're expectation management of a project so you clearly had this project in mind when you started it however long ago it was and you're shooting mm-hmm. stuff now that you're probably looking back at other stuff and going it, that you thought was great. And it's now like, is that even like book worthy? Because right. these ones are so much better. And then I think that we constantly progress as people, as we become more confident. So how do you, how do you manage expectation now? If that makes any sense? Uh, well, in regards of the project, I do look back uh, specifically the way that I, not even like the photos or the subject matter, but I look back at the way that I edited color film and I'm like cringing because I, I know that I'm going to have to go through every single one and re-edit it because it looks like garbage from <laughs> what I see now. But um, in, in relation to YouTube and stuff, like my biggest problem with um, things back in the day is that I didn't give a shit what anyone thought about what I said and I talked a lot of shit on a lot of people and a lot of different companies. And you're that's in the right space. Yeah, that's one thing that I look <laughs> back on and I'm like, I, I, I feel bad about that, obviously. But it's like, 
it's all just part of this whole process. Like as soon as I started photography, I started my YouTube channel. It was like September of 2019. And I was like, it was just a video in my old apartment. And I was like super nervous and super awkward. And I was like, I'm just going to show my process with film and everything. And I didn't know what it was going to turn into or anything like that. But I like looking back, even though I do cringe and stuff um, about some things, it's all about the process and everything. And it Mm -hmm. relates all back to photography in general, but with expectations, like there's, it's constantly changing. And I think as of right now, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. And it's obviously, even though it's slower than some people and I'm not like getting huge views or uh, huge engagement or anything like that. I'm just going to keep continuing doing what I'm doing. And mm. even though it's slow and gradual, it's obviously um, something that people like and it's something that I like. So I'm just going to keep doing that. And just, I, I always say like, stay, like stay true to your gut feeling. Yeah. And I've been doing that with everything. Um, I think people- so I'm just going to keep doing that and, see what happens people gravitate towards what you do and i think you've got to make sure that you don't compromise yourself for the benefit of you know fiction fiction based other people you know like when you're <laughs> especially as a as an artist like you you need to make the work that's true to you and what looks like the way it looks like you want to make it look like i find myself a million times editing stuff and be, like into a way that i thought was like i thought was really good and then I'll look at Instagram and I'll see the way someone else has done something. I'll be like, oh shit, that looks really cool. I'm going to go and change mine. And then like, I'm that easily influenced where mm-hmm. I've done something that I think is great. But then I look at somebody else's work and I go, oh, mine could look like that too. As opposed to the way I was happy with it. Like I, I've I struggled to be content with my own work a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I've been doing just recently is trying to get less um, inspiration from social media and Mm -hmm. Twitter and Instagram, because the majority of that work, even though it's, it might get a lot of likes, the majority of it isn't work that I want to aspire to. And Mm -hmm. I want to look, I've been looking at a lot of photo books and a lot of projects that have stood the test of time because everyone can get in this loop of just looking at what's popular on Twitter and looking at Instagram, what's popular on there, and you will start imitating all of that work, which yep. isn't work that you want to imitate. Yeah, so yeah. I've been I've been really looking at just uh, photographers that have been around for many many years, and they're revered in the world of photography, and trying to get my inspiration from them instead of just who are we uh, who are we talking browsing about? Twitter. Who, what kind of who who. <laughs> um, who, 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 who is it? Who, who do you tell like? Me. Who's your favorite? Tell me. Tell me. I want to uh, meet. Tell my me. my favorite photographer of all time is Brian Scootmont, and yes. he's we just he's I just emailed not, Brian. Brian's Brian's hopefully going to do the podcast. Uh, hey. He is uh, he's the whole reason I got into large format. Dude. I saw a portrait that he did, and is I was just like, Grace, I, Grace, "Is it Grace the Mountain Sands uh, or something?" That, yeah, like yeah, the, like I. It's like, is it eight by ten? No, it's four by five. Four by five. Those portraits, like, I never get bored of looking at those. They are. It's insane. And that's the kind of stuff where it's like you look at, you know, and you go, large format, like four by five, whatever. Like, that's the move. And And he he uses depth of field in a way that, like, it's 
it just makes those portraits work you know like mm-hmm. you can use depth of field. like it's like when you first learn photography and you realize that like a, a wide open app like you just blur the background on fucking everything you go and take a picture of like a, <laughs> you go and take a picture of like a fence post and you just blur it i the still background. do that and you're like hashtag <laughs> that's my whole that's my whole thing but like, that's 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 all my photography look he at his uses, video feed he, <laughs> uses, he uses the shallow depth of field to like isolate his subjects and create that loneliness in those photographs in such a beautiful way the tones of those photographs are incredible mm-hmm. um it was the it was the when i first came across his work it was the it was work that really for a long time hadn't made me like i hadn't seen work that had made me desperate to take pictures and mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. exactly what that project does like I nothing think on instagram has ever made me feel that way <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, I don't know if you look at a lot of um, wedding photography from nineteen, uh, sort of two thousand nineteen. A lot of crushed blacks. It's pretty sick. Um, Honestly, yeah. A lot but of like, faded. I uh, yeah, he just yeah blows my mind. I do you want to know? It. Do you want to know uh, to be kind of like in that same vein? You know who? Which is funny because I saw it on on YouTube first, and then on Instagram. But one photographer. Uh, whose large format work really made me like really want to get in large format. We both got our arms crossed right now as if you better say something good. Uh, George Muncy, uh, he did that video oh, yeah. or he did that series for Dickies. And there's a photograph that he did in the barber shop with the guy with the Dickies pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has this, I, I don't know what it is about that series, but all of those photos were so good. And you know it felt so tangible. I looked, yeah. I watched that video just the other day um, mm-hmm. because George is friends with a friend of mine. Right. I've never met him, but I, 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 he's one of his good friends that's been in his videos, uh, is a friend of mine. And, um, I, I rewatched some negative feedback stuff. It was to find out, it was to find out about his Chamonix actually. Mm. And I watched those portraits and I didn't like any of them. <laughs> really? Yeah. It was, I just felt like it was, they mm, there was the one of Tom Knox that really bothered me, the skater. I was just a bit like, yeah. Which one um, did you not like? Which is the which one? I there was there was one of them. I there was one I really liked, and it was one of the ones where he took it in front of the the white backdrop taped yeah, to the wall. I like those ones a lot. But all the other ones, I was just a bit like, eh. Like yeah. they just didn't. Well, didn't there's no accounting for me. taste, Mike. Like you know. <laughs> We no, have there's, different. No, there's no right and wrong. I just was a bit like, oh, like that didn't, yeah, I don't know. But then his latest ones that he's done on large format, those portraits, some of them have been amazing. Like, oh, he's so, come a long way since mm-hmm. that, for sure. Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. Um, Even when I look back, like I look back on my my first like large format portraits and it's just like, I'm obviously getting carried away with like tilt and swing and everything that everyone does. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you can't really take the portraits that you want to take with large format until you learn like the ins and outs of the way that the camera and the lens works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, you just can't jump in and start taking like amazing large format portraits. It's going to take a little bit of time for sure. So I think from- I've taken zero large format portraits. I've only taken <laughs> one that I'm really happy with that I took on like expired Felvia, I think of my friend Christine, like sitting in a chair. Um, but that has no hallmarks of like large format really in it. It's just like a very good, I think it's a really good environmental portrait, but yeah, mm-hmm. I'm too, I'm, I'm too precious. weird about portraits. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a precious thing. What yeah. about apart from fellow Brian, anyone else that that's work you keep revisiting? Oh, um, older photographers like Alex Soth, Joel Sternfeld, oh. um, older. Sally Man- <laughs> like pretty, 
pretty much <laughs> anyone that shoots large format. I just portraits. ordered another. I just ordered another copy of uh, Sleep uh, Sleeping by Mississippi because my other one's in a different country. Um, it's arriving <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, just yeah, that's another one that I can't. I think anyone who knows anything. I'll about say. I watched his video of him talking about the process of putting that book together and I love his you. work. It fr- yes, because I love his work and I think he's a visionary. Like I think his work is really fantastic and I will always really jump at the chance to like check his work out and like buy it. But him talking about getting the cover of the book done and so the photo, I was just like, God damn it, dude, make it just a blank. Who cares? It's just the cover of the book also, and, the cover and, and the minutia. Yeah, he ended up using a bit of wallpaper from one of the shots, and it's just right, like, yeah. right, fine. But it's also like with like <laughs> musicians who go into the thing again. It's well, it's like when I like as a musician going into a studio and recording a record, and like the minutia bullshit that people get into, like oh my guitar, like make the high end a little bit, like shut up, man. Does it sound good? Okay, move on. Like he has this body of work that's incredible, and he's 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 bitching about the book cover and it's like, yeah, dude, you need I, to step I, back and take perspective. Of what's I get that here. I but guess, you, but it was just like, I will never be that precious about that. You know? Yeah. But, but did I, you see, I don't know. Did you see his video, <laughs> his video where he was um, shooting that guy, the, the Grizz? The oh fish, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fish. Like that to me, when, when you were Brian, when you were talking about like um, taking your time and like learning to take your time, like I had watched, I've watched that video quite a few times. Um, of him doing the like, photograph in the grizz. And it made me realize that, like, see how much time he takes over, like everything. He's not afraid to move stuff around. He's not afraid to just be like, okay, no, actually, can you move and just go and sit down there instead? I know you're comfortable there, but I'd like you over here. And like, just, you know, do your thing and I'll do what I can. And it, it was like, that's a guy who's really confident in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And it's just right. like, I have a shot in mind. I have a goal in mind and I'm going to make it happen. So it'll take as long as it takes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I obviously like um, Alex Soth because of his work and the portraits that he makes, but I also just love the way that he talks about just the whole process of photography because he, he had this one quote talking about um, he felt like a predator, like chasing prey when he was like <laughs> looking for a subject. Mm. And I kind of had that same feeling when I would be driving around, like looking for an old car. And it's like, am I, doing this because I want to have these interactions and take these photos for this project? Mm. Or is it like this the hunt w- weird, like primal thing where I'm like trying to seek out a person and just use them for something for my own, like growth or my own, like it's both. Cause that yeah. hit of serotonin you get from finding that image or finding that, that scene to photograph and you like things come together in a certain way. Like that's why we love, photography right like it's that little Mm -hmm. bit of like primal like satisfaction it's like eating that perfect bite of food or like you know smelling something that's comfortable or or um, familiar say sex no this is better (laughs) no seriously uh, honestly sometimes better than sex (laughs) when you can get that frame and you get that image and it comes together in a way that tells a story it's got the subject that you want it's got the you know everything comes together perfectly it's like it's hard to replicate that and that's why we try so hard and spend so much money doing photography do you shoot much four by five that isn't to do with your project like if you just saw a person and like a cool scene would you would you shoot it yeah that's that's what i'm trying to do more of 
recently. Yeah. Um, yesterday, like I went to this small town called New Haven and I was just walking around um, and I saw this two days ago, I saw a picture of this building that a local photographer, he photographed this uh, old appliance store and it's like this blue building with uh, a painted sun on it. And I was like, that looks pretty cool. So I decided to go there. It's like an hour away. And I was setting up just to take a picture of the building. And it just so happens that the owner comes up and we started talking and everything. And I ended up taking his portrait. And yeah, I want to do more portraits like that that don't involve a car because it's obviously that that's going to get old, uh, mm. not only for people that view my work, but for me as well. Yeah. So I want to do, um, do you I want to start a... Do you think everything has to have a goal in mind, like an end goal? Or can you just, are you all right just taking a picture for the sake of taking a picture? Oh, no, I'm perfectly fine with that. As long, if I'm, if I look at someone or something and I'm like, my gut instinct is to take a photo of that, then I think that's a worthy picture to take. I'm not going to like study it or think about it like too hard. It's like, I I wanted to take it. I felt like taking it. So I, I may as well just take it. And with like future projects and stuff and things like that, I definitely want to do something more along the lines of like a Joel Sternfeld, like stranger passing where Mm. you're just taking photos of interesting people. And I know that he took portraits over like 15 or 20 years. And that's probably something that I want to do like multiple years where you can see progression and not only like time, but as uh, myself as a photographer Cause I feel like when you look at the project that I'm doing now, you can obviously see like a step up in like photographic ability. So in future things, I don't necessarily know if I want that to be like, so obvious. I just want it to be like, obviously there's going to reach a point where you're like, you can't really take pictures like that much better. And it's all, well, I feel like I was going to say with your work specifically, like I, I feel like you've gotten to a point where I'm not going to notice a change in ability. It's just going to be more of like what you decide to photograph and how you decide to go about that photograph. So it's, I think, I think you're at that point. And I was going to kind of say too, like with your work, you know, I've noticed now moving away from the coast and not living in California, um, how much there's more, how much I gravitate towards that kind of like storytelling, like Midwest, like middle of the country, because there's mm-hmm. more to see kind of like in California, it's like sunset, golden hour, house next to a palm tree, <laughs> classic car on the beach. Like we get it. Like that's what California looks like. But big, here, right. And I'm looking around here. It's like my work has been more, I feel like I've tried to do more story focused work. And like the work that I see from other photographers coming out of this like region of the country, it's like much more, there's like more nuance and like more like, there's more like stuff there, I feel. Right. And so um, I feel like it's less like, oh, you're getting better over time, but it's more like story focused and it's more like what you decide is in the frame and what's not, you know? Yeah, that's, that's what probably annoys me the most about... Um or photographers that are on like the East coast or the West coast and they take pictures of the stereo stereotypical things like golden hour on the West coast and like street photography in New York Mm -hmm. where I look at that. And the only thing that I'm annoyed at is that I know that there's people that I've like the type of people that I photograph in the Midwest, there's people like that 
on each coast and right. they're missing out on like so many um, opportunities to photograph those people and to have conversations with those people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I can only take so many photos of like golden hour, like beach photos or yeah. that car, that car in Malibu that everyone photographs with palm trees. Like, <laughs> and I get, good photos, I get it, but it's like, I know <laughs> I get it, but you, you, at some point you're going to have to like push out of that yeah. and like either go knock on a door or go talk to a stranger well, that's kind of why photograph something that you suck one of the at. Great, one of the great things about film is that as you progress, like it's never really the um, the 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 tonality of the photograph that changes. It's it's your compositions that tend to change, and your your you know how you progress artistically, how your eye changes. So that's why when you look at work that's been done by photographers over you know ten years, that they fit together as a project because they've been shooting them on the, the same film. So they always mm-hmm. look, you know, they're always going to look the same. But compositionally, they change, or 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 um, contextually, they change. But that's one of the great things about yeah, one of the great things about film is that it's not as if with digital when you're starting to you know mess around with your RGB channels and you know your highlights and your tones, whatever else, it's going to stay kind of similar, depending on obviously how you develop them. But like, right. you're gonna you're always going to get that level of consistency in terms of the aesthetic. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was the point, or I just wanted to say it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. And I think that's really what more, I think that's really what what really matters as far as like, you know, because you can be the best photographer in the world, but like there's like main tenets of photography you kind of stick to. There's not really like a lot you can do. Like the best photographer in the world can't make, you know, it's what they choose to put in the frame, what they choose to exclude that really makes yeah you know the, the photo but i was gonna say you know before we take up your entire day brian um the one one of the things i really wanted to ask you about because i feel like especially on twitter one of the only other voices that i, that I see similar to mine albeit with a bit more nuance uh is yours um about mm-hmm. nfts and i knew you, i know you knew this was coming but i wanted yeah. to i wanted to like get a little bit more in depth about your thoughts around it because I don't know if you listened to the pod that came out today, but I went on a little bit of a tirade about it. Um, I tried I to be as nuanced as possible, but it's hard. It's really hard because there's so much involved and it's a very right. broad subject. But um, yeah, what's what's going on in that head of yours on that? On that so front? I've made um, probably the last five or six, seven, eight, nine YouTube videos there's been a part in the YouTube video where I shit on NFTs and the people that <laughs> yes. are in that community. Yeah. And then I just delete it because I'm like, I don't want, I don't even want the comments. I don't want to deal with it. Right. It's been rough. I've, I, yeah. I've been like, I've been the guy in the past who like talks openly about things that make him upset. And then I have to deal with the comments and the people call me an asshole and all that stuff. <laughs> But I'm like, I'm just being honest with everything. And I think that's what you, YouTube needs is just an honest person, person mm-hmm. and an honest photographer. Mm-hmm. And the thing with NFTs, like it's changed dramatically from, I think I first mentioned them in March of this year mm-hmm. on uh, the One More Stop Discord that you're in. Yeah. I uh, mentioned it there and I was just like, what the hell's going on? Like these terrible photos are selling for five, ten thousand dollars And then it's obviously like changed over time. And right now I'm to the point where um, the only thing that 
bothers me about it is the fact that so many people are willing to just ignore the fact of how bad it is for the environment and the energy consumption that it takes mm-hmm. in order to just cash in right now. Because in the future, if you believe the people that uh, run Ethereum or the blockchain or whatever or crypto, mm-hmm. that it's going to be better in the future mm-hmm. and it's going to be 99.9% more viable and less toxic for the environment. The fact that they can't just wait that little bit, that part annoys me the most. Mm-hmm. And and the whole um, social aspect of it on Twitter is... Yeah. Um, is, is And Daniel Milner, I don't know if you know him, but he's a, a YouTuber and mm-hmm. he makes very uh, honest and to the point videos. And he's he said that everyone is being phony and everyone knows that everyone is phony and they just go along with it because that's the way that the world works. <laughs> right. And I just feel, I just feel like that's how the NFT space is. Everyone kind of knows that it's stupid and it doesn't make sense, but everyone's making money. So they're not going to say anything. Yeah. I mean, it's wall street. And it's micro wall street. I know it's just, and you're people talking about like being bullish on a photographer and Ugh. it's just Gross. really strange to me. And also there hasn't been one photographer that I look up to and aspire to be that has gotten into the NFT space. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much all I have to say like about the NFT work in general is there's not a lot of good work in that space. So, yep. well, there's also been, there's a photographer, I'm not going to mention who, who sold, um, a photo on, I don't know, open sea or something, uh, for, I think it was like, ended up being like 900 and something dollars in Ethereum, right? And they sold it to what amounted to be like a a holding firm. Like they were like a a hedge fund or something, right? The hedge fund bought this. And then the hedge fund, you can see in the, in the blockchain, what happens with that token or that NFT as it, as it's sold and bought, they turned around and sold it for like 10 grand um, to some other holding company. Right. And so does the photographer get any of that? Or I think it you can you can you can you can set up your your contract, the certificate or whatever when it's bought. That you, it, like I said, I said the other day, there's a there's a huge there's a gray area in which that can operate. So you can sure. still maintain like fifty percent copyright some rights like, to it. So yeah. you, when, yeah, it's, so, when it's resold, you get some of the money, or they can just buy it all and you get fuck all. Right. Yeah. So I did like the last couple of months. I did a really deep dive into this because I was like. I have I, I have a body of work that's pretty uh, not finished, but it's pretty like laid out, and it's actually makes sense compared to a lot of NFT projects out there. Sure. Uh-huh. And I was like, there's not a lot of portraits out there. Um, there's not a lot of like real documentary projects that are being sold as NFTs. Mm-hmm. So it's like I got into it. I like activated an account, and I was like gonna go like all in on on it. And then yeah. I like posted everything and I just felt like in my gut, I was just like this, it's, it just felt wrong. It didn't feel mm. right. And also to the point of just the way that people have to market themselves in order to make sales. Like right. if someone buys my work, I'm not good. The, the first thing I'm going to do is like email them and say, thank you. Or like send them a print. I'm not going to like run to Twitter 
and be like, <laughs> oh my God, so-and-so bought my work. And then mm-hmm. like ex- expect people to reciprocate that. And it's just like mm-hmm. all the marketing that goes into it, I knew that I wasn't going to do that. So I probably wasn't going to make any sales anyway because mm-hmm. I wasn't going to put in that work. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about like other avenues where it's much more viable for the environment. But you go on those marketplaces and those websites and they're it's a terrible interface. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, nobody on there is really making money because it's just not popular and no one's on those marketplaces. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that annoys me because everyone's pushing like foundation and open sea and all these Ethereum based marketplaces. And it's just terrible. Like there's no way around it. It's just terrible for the environment. And not only is it, in, is it in terrible, but it's for something that is completely useless where you can just <laughs> sell prints and be done with it. Yeah. I mean, so. it's, it is useless. It seems useless. And then like, uh, You've heard of the Constitution DAO, right? Like I went on about that on the last episode. Yeah. Uh, thoughts on that? Because my my whole pro- thought process is like, here are all these crypto bros in the mostly in the Bay Area, but from all other places too, raising twenty over twenty million dollars to buy a copy of the Constitution, right? Um, it seems I fucking like a really weird flex of wealth to do something like that when we have record wealth inequality um in the world everywhere but specifically in the bay area uh i don't know that's just my whole angle well, on it yeah <laughs> well, it kind of relates to back to when when i first started seeing nfts being sold and uh people were posting like so and so bought my work like th- like mm-hmm. ch- just changed my life it all was centered around this one guy and I can't remember his name. I wouldn't say it anyway, but it was this one guy and I went to his page. I'm like, who the fuck, like, who is this guy and why is he buying so many NFTs? Mm -hmm. And it turns out he's one of the founders of Ethereum. And I'm like, (laughs) that makes perfect sense. So it's like, he's, (laughs) he's like kind of, um, propping up the market. Yeah. Like he's buying (laughs) these photographers work with this insane amount of money. And then Mm -hmm. obviously they're going to go to five of their photographer friends and say, so-and-so just bought this. You should get into it, but you have to pay two or 300 bucks to get into it. Yeah. Right. And then it just props up Ethereum's price because you had to buy Ethereum to take part in it. And it just starts to sound more and more like the stock market to me. So yeah, it's just, and then seeing photographers selling their work to, uh, hedge funds because you, you're, they're transparent. You can see it's like this X amount capital, whatever their name is, uh, buying this work and then they're turning around and selling it for however much Ethereum. And it's very obvious if you look at the transactions, like these aren't being sold to people who are like passionate about photography or care about photographers. It's being sold to people who think that they can leverage this work to make more money. Which is gross. It's right? just, I, I, it just makes it all like fucking, I don't know. We should all just be Christian Bales in our skinny little men in our dark rooms making prints and passing them around to each other like pogs. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that prints are like superior to digital just because they're tangible. I think that there is well, so are. much, they are. There's so much possibility in digital um, art, like in, in putting your work 
to be available digitally. I think that there's a lot to be said and a lot to be done with that. But I think that this avenue is dark and dingy and sketchy. Yeah, I I think, I hope, because I obviously I want every photographer to like be a full-time photographer. Yeah. Yeah. Like and they and people will always say that online, like I want to be a full-time photographer. Like I think every photographer wants to be a full-time photographer. You don't have to like say that. <laughs> and it's sure. like um <laughs> I just hope in the future with like digital sales and stuff, it's either going to just be a fad that like kind of passes and then no one kind of partakes in it anymore, mm-hmm. or everyone's gonna get into it. And everyone's going to realize how much better work there is out there. And then all these terrible photos that are selling for so much money are not going to be valued at such a high price tag. Mm -hmm. And then everything's just going to come back down to a price that is like a normal print, which makes sense. And like the thing that I did was I posted, and I know Ben Horn did this as well. He still has it up on his website. He sells like eight by 10 transparency like pieces of film. Right. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're called Ben Horn originals. Mm-hmm. And so I cool. actually, I, I did that on, I did that on Twitter multiple times. I was like, here's my, I saw that. Yeah. My piece of original artwork, $2,500 if someone wants to buy it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when you look at it that way and you look like how obscene that is that I like asked for that. Yeah. Then you realize how like obscene NFTs are, and then the fact that you're not even getting anything, you're just getting like a link to your name. <laughs> right. Then it makes it seem even more obscene. So but I don't the know thing how is, anyone can. I, I would argue that a a an original, a negative, like a, a positive piece of film that has a photograph on it from you is absolutely worth twenty five hundred dollars. I do yeah. not think a lazy lion or a bored ape is worth fucking anything. It's worth less than things. It's worth negative. And people right. are paying, I don't know, $69,000 for a stupid fucking badly done digital art. It's, I, I just think that part of me that gets so mad about it is because I feel like that there's somebody somewhere who is sitting in a boardroom in a suit and they're just like laughing like, look at these stupid fucking photographers getting mad because we're selling these dumb pieces of art for so much money and they can't even make ends meet. Like, I feel like they're right. spitting in our faces on purpose. I know they're not, but they probably are, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then hard. it's like, it's it's a little disheartening too when you, like, I know the work that I make. I know the uh and I'm not saying like my work is amazing and it's like going to stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. But when you see someone that has been in photography for a couple of years and they're making what is not the best work mm. and they're trying to sell it as an NFT for 500 to a thousand dollars, it's mm-hmm. like, who the fuck are you? Yep. Why should I care about your work? Yep. And it should be, it shouldn't come down to the, to the, the marketing Mm-hmm. And the way that you retweet things or like a certain thing mm-hmm. yep. in order to make sales, it should be about the work. Yeah. And if they want it to be about the work, then it shouldn't matter if it's on OpenSea where it destroys the environment <laughs> or if it's on this viable marketplace that doesn't use hardly any energy. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't matter between the two. If it's about the art, you should go there and buy it. If it's about the art, you should support the person over there yep. and right. not just on some website that destroys the environment. 
Well, yeah, I think and that's the thing a- too. Another thing about it is you get these young photographers who get into this technology and are really excited about it and want to make a bunch of money, but then it's going to be like the housing bubble. Once this collapses, once this fantasy bursts, there's going to be a lot of people who minted a bunch of stupid NFTs for X amount of money who are then left holding the bag. They can't recoup that cost because the market, everyone found out it's a joke and that there's it's no longer viable. And then these photographers who had all this like, because like, how do you exactly? It becomes like a social media thing. Like how good are you at marketing yourself and how good that's, are you at social media? But that's the fucking, that's the, that's the photographer's world these days. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I just, I want to know how much if Joe, somebody can sell a photo, an NFT for a thousand. Mm-hmm. I really want to know like if a Joe Greer or like a Willem Verbeek, someone that is like an established photographer who's popular on social media mm-hmm. like what what could they sell an nft for a million dollars that's like, that's a good actually what, that's actually a good question because i know that like willem and joe both sell books and prints and people buy them because sheer the sheer volume of people who follow their work and like the popularity of them yeah mm-hmm. what, what what does that equate to an nft would they get you know people getting together to pool their money to buy an nft so that they can like have a token and like sit on a board like the constitution DAO and decide where that piece lives because like also that's more valuable to me than the constitution stupid thing that they're doing right (laughs) i want to know too if like because i know that joe like joe greer did mention something Mm -hmm. about doing nfts but i do want to know like the bigger photographers out there if they even think about it or if they've thought about it because they they have to know that if they did get into it that they would make like a, f- a fucking killing that's the NFTs. thing and that's kind of the whole thing is like and how many they how do many, know that and they that well the thing is that that's the problem is like if you are a photographer who has a following like that who already can make a living off of your photography then you can make a killing with nfts if you're a photographer that no one knows about or a photographer that doesn't make a living off their work, you have a no chance in selling an NFT for any amount of money. That's going but to be when you when you talk about like a, a a famous photographer, right? Are we talking about you know YouTube, Insta, Twitter famous like Joe Greer, or are we talking about you know like Stephen Shore? But there's no there's no there's no difference in in as far as like because I think Alex Soth could sell an but NFT and make a good I, amount I of money, but I know Joe Greer. But that's the thing. So what I'm trying to say is like, so photographers, so let's say Stephen Shore or, or Alex, okay, Alex is a good one because his social media presence is garbage. It's all little brown mushroom and it's not like his photography, right? And (laughs) I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in the way that, do you know what? He's a photographer. He's a photographer's photographer. Mm -hmm. He cares about tangible photography Mm -hmm. and that's very much his thing. A guy like him probably wouldn't try and sell an NFT because it's not the photography space he operates in. I don't know that, of course. He might do. But that's also think, besides the point, right? I think a lot of the popular photographers um, are somewhat going to be afraid of the backlash from like the general photography community because I've seen like countless polls on like Instagram of people like asking their followers what they think about NFTs, and it's almost always seventy to seventy-five percent no. Yeah. So I think what we see on Twitter is literally just like a very small percentage. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's also it looks chamber. like a lot. Yeah, it looks like a lot more because obviously people are just retweeting literally everything yeah. and talking about people making sales. So I think a lot are actually 
kind of afraid of what people might think and calling them a sellout and all the <laughs> other terrible things that have to do with NFTs. I mean, yeah. if I thought as the photographer I am now, having my YouTube channel, having the limited following that I do have, if I thought I could make even a thousand dollars selling NFTs, I'd do it because that would mean real tangible, like value for me. Cause I could, you know, then pay my bills. But that's the problem is like, I don't think that you can do that unless you have that social media following, unless you yeah. have like that large, like I think Alex Soth, like I said before, could absolutely sell NFT for a lot of money because I think that he has people in the fine art space, people yeah. in the, you know, Magnum photo space yeah. who look at his work and go, Oh, you're selling an NFT now I'm in. Right. But then with people like Joe Greer, Willem Verbeek, other large photographers who are big in the social media space, um, what they lack in like the fine art, chops i guess as far as like the connections in that industry they make up for sheer volume of popularity um where they Mm -hmm. could also make a lot of money in nfts but the problem is that's the prerequisite for getting into it you can't make money unless you have just like money name recognition right (laughs) and or money yeah you have to you have to like straight up blunt force get yourself in the market with money or be a celebrity pretty much yeah. And that's, that's one thing that the one good thing that has come out of like NFTs and all this garbage is that <laughs> it's making me, it's, it really is like pushing me more into wanting to 100%. build, con- build connections with like fine art photographers, yep. like galleries yep. and mm-hmm. do more darkroom printing. Yep. It's like, I would much rather get a compliment from like a Brian Scoopmont saying yeah, like, that's a nice portrait. Oh yeah. And sell an 100%. NFT for $2,000. I'm like, I am, <laughs> it's like, I am, I'm becoming no more question. and more like sort of artisanal with so many things I do because I, I just get more and more distaste for, for the, you know, for social media. And it just, it starts to drive me in one direction, which is like to become a fucking hermit, a hermit with a, a hermit with a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and a dark room and a dark yeah anyway i think you know we've 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 covered a lot of bases today christopher's got managed to get his constitutional issues in again um, i just because you know he, he, brian you're the only other person i see on on it twitter that has anything to say critical of nfts without it seemingly too much of a worry of like backlash because you're not you're not saying like fuck you if you do nfts but you you do say things where it's just like obvious that you think it's not viable and i think that yeah it's brave of you to say that because I, everyone I'm, else is I'm so happy all for yeah. people just speaking their mind you know i think it's the way it should be um and i think that's you know you end up just you're not trying to please everybody i think you got to stay true to yourself and i think that's important and i'm, I'm glad that people talk like they do um but yeah and you're it, a photographer i would look to who it's, i would say that like I I do kind of look up to the way you kind of present yourself because it does seem like you do everything for yourself yeah. and for what you think is what said, you my, want my to friend, do. My, my friend Robbie said the other day was we were talking about your channel. This is before I asked you to come on, and uh, he said he's a photographer's photographer, and I was like, exactly. Like yeah. I think you're very true to the medium, and it's um it's it's a, it, I think that's why I was drawn to your channel because I don't watch many YouTube channels photography ones because I I get fucking bored of them. Um, yeah, but I appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys saying that because I've been like, it's been like up and down with YouTube and like questioning myself and my photography and like, because I do like, I feel like back 
in the day, I did get a lot of comments like that were not, not like negative comments, but just like talking about me being very vocal about my opinions and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know if it's necessarily because I had like, because I came off like an asshole or, or whatever, but, or if it was because people just weren't used to seeing that on like YouTube and people just being honest and blunt with everything. So I would definitely like, I would love if more people were like that and just more people were honest with things because there's access to um, millions of channels. If you don't like what somebody's saying, fucking turn it off. Just watch something else. Watch one of the other million YouTube videos. And and there's no more dislikes on YouTube. So I can say whatever I want and no one will know. know Like who gives like, who gives a shit? I watch the YouTube videos I like. If I don't like, I just turn it off. Like it's as simple as that. Like I don't, I'm not going to get in someone's messages and be like, I just saw your video. That's half the fun of social media is talking shit to somebody on their page or on their comments, you know, like why would (laughs) most people, that's what they love to do. As soon as I press stop on this podcast, we're going to tell you some things that you're going to enjoy. Um, (laughs) But like, so yeah, anyway, it's been amazing to have you. And if we get Brian Skipman on, we can maybe get you to come in like halfway if you want to say hi. Oh, well, yeah, that would be amazing. But I actually emailed him to be, uh, no, I emailed him a while ago um, to be on my uh analog artisans series and he agreed to it and we had like things set up but he was like going to be in montana and i couldn't get down to like texas and he was supposed to be in kansas at one point and i was like going to drive and meet up and like Mm -hmm. photograph him and like video him while he took portraits and shit and it just never came together so if you do have him on like Remind him, him. <laughs> come out, come, come out to Missouri. I'm just gonna, so I'm just gonna portrait. like if he comes on, I'll just fanboy like, <laughs> like I'll have real it. questions. Mike will just faff around. Yeah, I'll just be like, <laughs> see that picture you took of the guy with the big glasses. How did you do? What was the focal plane? And how did you? Oh, it's so good. I love. I it, really Brian. like your you. photography when I you like take your pictures. <laughs> can you can you send me a print please and sign it for me? Please say to Mike, you're your best friend. <laughs> I was going to say, every, yeah, your analog artisans uh, series is sick. I love it. Every time another one comes up, I'm like, yes, it's really fun. I love it. Yeah. I, yeah. Thank you. I love making those. I want, it's so hard to like find people for that. Mm-hmm. And I just, I wish like every photographer that I found or saw online, I could just like teleport and then like go make a video on them because I want to like talk to everyone. Mm-hmm. But that's the beauty of, uh, like doing this and a podcast, like the last couple ones have just been through like just me talking to them like on zoom and then just including some like YouTube stuff with it. Yeah. So that's yeah, great. I definitely want to do, do more of those, but we should I do it when I, I'm going to go over and see Christopher at some point in the new year. Um, <laughs> we should, we should drive and we should meet. Well, I was going to say, I'm only about five and a half hours from you. Uh, so we should definitely get together at some point and do something. Yeah. That'd I'm down. Great. Yeah. I'll bring a digital camera. Um, right. Anyway, <laughs> Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on, man. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Yeah. Toodle pep. Toodle pep. <laughs>